Hi there, and welcome back to the Creative Endeavor podcast. This is the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. It's real conversations with real artists. And I'm Andrew Tischler, and what a pleasure it is to have your company here once again. Welcome. In this episode, I'm talking to Christopher Remmers, who's an outstanding artist based in Washington State in the United States of America. Now, Christopher produces some monumental, epic, figurative paintings focused on psychedelic, supernatural themes. His work is incredible. The way he handles paint is just exquisite. These paintings are not only massive, but they're so expertly crafted. It's amazing the worlds that he explores within his work, leaving the viewer to ponder something deeper, a reality lurking just below the surface of what we can observe. Now, I've been following Christopher's work for some time, and this is actually the second appearance Christopher's been on the show before, and we had a great conversation last time, so I was so excited about this one. Now, of course, the world has changed so much in just a few short years, and now we're faced with more paradigm shifts like AI. Now, this is something that's come up in the podcast recently with other guests, but it's always so interesting to hear about how other artists are handling this topic in particular. This represents either an opportunity or a threat, depending on how you look at it. Personally, I've got some reservations about AI and how it's going to impact us artists, not only from the way we produce our art, but fundamentally, what does it mean to be an artist working in today's day and age? We had a great exchange around this topic. It was a lot of fun to get into and explore some of these ideas. And then towards the end of the conversation, we got into some good old shop talk and I got to pick Christopher's brain about how he approaches oil painting. We even get a tour of his studio in the video version of this podcast. So that's right. You can see the video version on my YouTube channel. Just search my name, Andrew Tischler on YouTube, pull up that channel and check out this episode with Christopher Rimmers there. Now, I'm going to link to Christopher's Instagram and his website in the description down below. Make sure you're following his work there. Without further ado, here he is. This is Christopher Remmers and the Creative Endeavor. Christopher Remmers, wonderful to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's always a pleasure to be here, man. Awesome. Awesome. There are so many things that we have to get into. We were talking back and forth just on those Instagram messages uh, recently, talking about AI. And this seems to be the topic that's on everybody's mind and everybody's thinking about it. And if they're not, I think they should be. It's, it's quite, quite a topic and it's quite a quagmire. Let's kick things off just having a bit of a discussion about that because I'm dying to know what are your feelings about it, any reservations that you might have, and, and where, where are you with this whole thing? Because it's, it's, a, it's another paradigm shift. I personally, I mean, I knew that they were working on this, but I didn't see it coming quite so quickly with the art side of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I definitely have my reservations about it. Um, and I've been, but 
that's not keeping me from being interested in experimenting and, and like playing around with the technologies. You know, I think I'm, I'm trying to look at it the same way that I've looked at other quote unquote, like disruptive technologies that have emerged into the space, particularly in the art world, you know, like photography, I'd say would be like the big one. Right. And then, and then the, and then the introduction of digital art and procreate and digital tools. And I think, uh, I think ultimately they're good things. Um, I, I'm in support of them in terms of the big picture, but I think we need to become increasingly cautious over what these tools can rob us of, you know? And um, I just recently uh, did a, a newsletter about this where I was talking about my opinions of AI. And prior to that, I'd always been thinking about uh, this book that I read some years ago um, by George Orwell. And it's called The Road to Wigan Pier. And it's a it's a book that most people aren't as aware of as they are 1984. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a nonfiction. And it was his comments kind of at the rise of the Industrial Revolution. And he was talking about the rise of, of the quote unquote machine. Right. And he spoke about how, um, you know, it's inevitable. The machine's inevitable. Once we get it rolling, it's never going to stop and it's never going to stop continuing to make life more convenient and easy and automated and but he warned against like what that would do to humanity that it, if we weren't cautious it would rob us of our wisdom and mm. i actually like if you want i i i have a quote i can bring up now that yeah, i had please. put a newsletter okay he says quote the sensitive person's hostility to the machine is in one sense unrealistic because of the obvious fact that the machine has come to stay, but as an attitude of mind, there's a great deal to be said for it. The machine has got to be accepted, but it is probably better to accept it rather as one accepts a drug that is grudgingly and suspiciously. Like a drug, the machine is useful, dangerous, and habit-forming. The oftener one surrenders to it, the tighter its grip becomes." And uh, he goes on to say much more on it, but that was like the most poignant part of like what he spoke of. And I think it captures perfectly like my relationship with it. Is it like, I think as a, someone that values traditional oil painting and craftsmanship and mastery mindset that like these tools can rob us of the value that we get from learning how to make something with our hands and it can rob us of that creative function. And so- mm. Yeah, yeah. That really interesting quote there. The the whole analogy of it being like a drug, something that you accept grudgingly, it's I, I I'm not I'm not sure I I don't know. I, I'm I'm taking a little bit more of a hard line with it now. I've I've had to make a um I've had to make a decision not only for my art, but I'm even thinking that way towards my business because there's a lot of online people, you know. And 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 I think when you're a when you're an artist, you're also a little bit entrepreneurial. So you're doing things on a business standpoint, especially you know when you when you're online, you're doing things on YouTube and you're creating this and creating that and putting content out everywhere. There is a, a temptation to even have something like ChatGPT write your newsletter for you. Not that you've done that, but but or 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 make some shorts for you. Now it's editing video. I mean, come on, AI is now editing video. Um, we've had to make a stance where we're just not going to do that at all. And I don't know, man, I just, 
there's something about this that feels so vacuous. So how do you as an artist balance this out? Like, so have you, you played with it a little bit? Are you thinking about it? Is there any place where there's an entry point for that to enter your creative space or for you to use this as a tool? Now, I'm not judging, by the way. I'm just, I'm so interested to hear how other artists are either adopting this technology or they're pushing it away and saying, no, not at all. This is not coming anywhere near me. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely played with it. I've I, I, primarily just uh, mid-journey. You know, I've spent mm -hmm. quite a lot of time just trying to learn the tool. Um, I have played with ChatGPT with writing stuff, and I don't like it at all. Um, mm -hmm. I really enjoy writing. And I think, I mean, who knows? The technology is going to become so much more advanced. But even now, like I've tried using it in a way that can learn my language and I still don't like it. It sounds, um, other people have described it as like very vanilla. It's very just like basic and it's devoid of like that emotional quality that I really love in terms of what I like to do when I write. And so for me, there's been a bit of a hard line there in terms of like, no, like I don't want to integrate this into expression on that sense. Um, but the way that I've looked at mid journey, for instance, and I've tried it like both from like a big compositional to like elements. And I initially was trying it from this big picture compositional approach. And I, and the same thing, it was creating this, this, I don't know, this, this feeling or this like quality that I really didn't like. And I also noticed that it was quickly diminishing and it was tempting me to like, off board this part of my creative process that I'm like, this is this is too valuable to hand off to anything or anyone for that matter. Yeah. This is like where I find most of the value in what, what I do and why I do it. Mm. Um, but then I looked at it from this perspective of like how I use digital tools and photography um, prior to to this happening is that, you know, it's like I, I create reference. I go out and I either capture my own images or I look for something online and then I bring it into Photoshop and I edit it and I use it as like a, as primarily as a tool. Mm. And it's the same thing that we've spoken about. A lot of us have spoken about in the space around photography that like to be careful that it's probably best to learn observational skills before you onboard something like a camera and you don't know what you're losing. You don't know, like you don't know how to manipulate things to like get them to mimic or to infuse them with the quality of what you get from painting from life mm -hmm. for instance and um but i looked at the process that i go through of like i take a bunch of different reference images reference sketches and i sort of combine them to come up with an imaginative quality mid-journey allows me to do that a lot more effectively you know for instance i was there's a, that smaller piece behind me. Yeah, I wanted some reference for this particular quality of a flower with this very particular kind of light. And I was able to go in and like create the conditions almost perfectly to generate, you know, like dozens of different like perspectives and stuff. I mean, what I could have done, I could have gone and found these like more rare orchids, which would have been very hard, set up the setup in my studio created the light conditions and done all that. that that's fine. But I didn't really feel like the, how I went about doing that on mid journey took away from my creative process at all. I was still thinking about it and integrating all of these different aspects of composition the same exact way. It was just allowing me to gather those reference points much more effectively. Right. Um, and that's what I've landed with it. I think like for elements, I really enjoy it. I think it's a powerful tool. 
Um, so, but again, you know, it's that thing of, I think our creativity, I, I mean, I, this is, this is like a, this is a big thing to say, but I think that's like the primary function of being human is to, is, is to expand our creative capacity. That's how we learn to grow and to love and to exist in the world. And I think tools that threaten robbing that from us is very, very dangerous. And I'd say that if you're just beginning out as an artist and to be very wary of these tools, I think for people like you and I that have been doing this for a long time and we, and we've learned a lot of these basic fundamental principles of design and art like I think that we can see that and it's easier for us to be cautious and it's easier easier for us to see the potential damage that this can do but mm. so yeah it's that what you said before was beautiful I want to try and just encapsulate that as 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 a quote as a thought because it's just it was such a nice quote and I'm, I'm gonna butcher it as I try to repeat it back to you but um the, the fundamental function of, of humanity is to expand our creativity. Is that, did I, did I, am I close? Yeah, 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 yeah. You maybe yeah. even said it a little bit better. Than me. I, 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 I really like that, man. I really like that because there is an element here that, you know, while we're, can be distracted with this brand spanking new technology, this amazing thing, the unprecedented, you know, leap forward. Um, we, if we're not careful, we could lose sight of, of the bigger picture of that thing that makes us human. And it's not just, it's not just from the art standpoint that, that I'm concerned about. It's, it's how this disrupts everything. You know, there, there's another side to this as well. So we're, we're artists and we create a thing. You know, we, we, we create a, a, a product just to boil it down to brass tacks. And, and we also provide service as artists and whenever we're doing that and entering an economy with something that we have to offer for sale anything that disrupts that economy anything at all that's not art related will affect us as artists and so i i look at this and i you know been somebody that's lost my business my art business twice now gone gone absolutely bust twice and then have been able to come back from that you know, I look at this and go, okay, are we due for another, well, I hate to use this word, but a, a reset? <laughs> are we due for something that's going to come through and just really shake the bedrock of the world? And, and I, I feel like AI is something that could provide at least part of that restructuring because it's getting a really good shakeup right now and everything's going to kind of, you know, settle into place eventually, I'm sure. So, so we're about to get a really good shakeup and everything's going to settle into place, hopefully, um, hopefully for the better. But I, I just can't help but see it as a disruption. And when I see that, I'm like, okay, well, I'm concerned about whoever who just lost their job to AI because that was one of my clients or customers, or that was somebody that would, you know, buy a course or subscribe to, to a, my, my online academy or buy a tutorial. And I don't mean to make it all about me, but just, just for the, you know, to, to paint the picture here of, you know, we, we provide stuff and that's how we make ends meet and, and, and make a life as an artist. So whenever something comes along that fundamentally disrupts that, 
I, I see it as dangerous. Now, we can shake our fists at the sky, you know, all we want. The change is coming. But I don't know, man. I, I'd, I'd love to hear what you think, because I think, and maybe I'm being a bit delusional here, but I think that there is an opportunity for us to lean into our humanness and lean into that, because it's like, you know, I was talking to Mark Majori recently, and he said um, he'd be looking at an image online and he'd, he was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And then he'd find out it was generated through a, a prompt. And then suddenly he loses interest. I wonder if clients are going to be the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing I think about with that is, is just the primary interface that we as artists are functioning through, which is the digital interface, which has always been a challenge, I think, for artists like you and I. And, you know, and I paint, I like to paint large scale. I like to really imbue my paintings with a quality that like is really meant to be seen in life in mm. person like standing in front of a piece and it's been difficult for me to have most of my business primarily running through online and because people aren't able to experience that and so when you then introduce this whole ai thing and people are able to generate these digital images then i think it does threaten our business um i've i've noticed a dip in in sales and i've had to like pivot in certain ways to keep business afloat and to like learn how to monetize in, in new ways and and i think my response to that in terms of preserving like you were saying like our humanity through this is is actually to put more energy into doing and promoting events that are going to be in person going to live shows going to art conventions and also um, you know, doing what I like to, what I'm referring to lately is like art literacy is to help re-engage people with like the function of like what it means to experience art. And I, this has been something I've been on for a that. long time, right? Mm -hmm. Is that like, and this, this goes, this, I love this topic a lot. I mean, it goes to this thing that art has become primarily a thing that's consumed. It's a commodity. And I'm not saying that we need to rid the world of capitalism and that that's, there's not a function there that's beneficial. But I think that when people are primary looking at art as a, as something to be consumed and, you know, and you're just flipping and dragging, looking for that shock and all value and nothing else just for a few seconds and then you move on. I think we are, we're missing out on something that's really powerful. And that goes back to, to what I've been thinking a lot about, which was, the cathedral experience and there's many different iterations of what that can be but the cathedral experience essentially it was a curated thing from multiple components that were essentially put in place to give people to put people in touch with you know the divine as it were so there was these structures that were built that were absolutely the most beautiful architectural creations and then those were filled with sculptures and paintings and then within that there was ceremony and there was ritual and it was putting all the conditions in place for people to touch and feel god to mm -hmm. feel the divine to feel that which was the most highest and most creative within them mm -hmm. and and i think for better or worse as we've like gone through the ages and certain institutions have more or less been condemned we've sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater and we've moved into this place that i think has been really disruptive to understanding what the actual meaning of art is and to me if i can it's like it's that it starts with like myth and stories that we like we we create these 
these representations of what is the most meaningful to us in our lives. And that started through like storytelling and through the creation of myth, through the creation of, of, of these experiences that we had that, that deeply impacted us. And I think we figured out along the way that the best way to preserve those stories and to preserve these meaningful moments was art. We enshrined them in the most beautiful way possible because beauty is what connects us to awe. Beauty is what connects us to meaning. And that became the function of art. And like, I get so fired up about this, you know, it's like, so how can we create experiences? How can we create art that tap people back into that meaning? Because that's really what it becomes, you know, because it's, it's, it's become like this perverted version of that more or less that we're just about like grabbing people's attention with like shock and awe. And then it's just void of meaning after that fact. It's just like, how can I just grab your attention? Cause that's the most valuable commodity that exists today and we're just throwing it in the garbage i mean mm. sorry i'm being extreme here but it's like oh no, no, i i I, I, I feel i feel really passionate about it. and a lot mm. of the work that i'm doing is kind of at aims of like how do we how do we bring these traditions back into our culture in a, in a powerful way don't you think that um artists like thomas moran and albert bierstadt uh, that that was almost a bit of a shock and all campaign because they immediately came to mind. I mean, when you stand in front of one of those works, it is shocking. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's it's shocking. I don't think there's anything wrong with shock and awe, but I think it's mm. this this thing that I always ask myself is once I have your attention, what am I doing with it? Mm. Right? Like what, I'm now responsible as an artist, as someone that's creating something that's grabbing your attention. I'm now responsible for whatever I do with your attention or how I would like to direct it. And I think... I mean, speaking of those guys and that whole tradition in the Hudson Valley and like those amazing landscape artists, I think in a sense they were like, I mean, that's that's ground zero for the most beautiful divine is is nature, right? Like that's where we that's where it all comes from. That's where all ideas and all of our creative process stems out of our connection to the natural world. And so I I revere like and really admire those artists that were able and specifically you as well man like you go and you show us how beautiful these places are and it makes us want to actually go and be in those places which i yeah. it's this whole other thread right is like being in nature and the importance of that mm. so it's it i mean from my perspective i mean sometimes it seems almost like a a bit of a silly pursuit <laughs> trying to recreate this thing because you're never going to compete with the real thing but for me, you know, when I'm out in the landscape and I'm presented with this epic scene, it's like I I I just have to recreate this in some way, but not not as a way to compete, but just and and yeah, share it with others and just go, this is amazing. You got to check this out, kind of thing. It's it's really simple from my point of view, but yeah, it's it's so interesting. You said something that. Um, that I've been struggling with for a little while. And it it reminds me of a time in my life where I was having this back and forth with my father, where he was, you know, we were looking at picture frames specifically for paintings. And this, this idea of beauty as function, whenever I went to museums and, and art galleries, I would gravitate towards 19th century Victorian type frames, gilded frames, all of this ornamentation, ornamentation on everything. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And when you look at those frilly gold frames, I mean, dude, that is my jam. I love that. 
and I and and he was more this kind of product of of um, you know fifties and sixties, and it was really taken with Bauhaus and minimalism and all this you know very clean lines and. It, it didn't suit my work, but that was kind of, it's like, ah, th th this, uh, this stuff is useless. It is just, it's not, it, it's, yeah, it has no purpose at all. And, and I, I didn't have the perspective at the time to go that that's, that's the, th that's the point though, is that it might not have a specific function or utility. It, it is beautiful and that's its function. You know, and and I, I just see this general trend that we've had as a as a culture, a, a global culture, as a as a species. You know, humanity we we've leaned too much into function, and that has caused us to lose sight of that bigger picture. And I, I love that beauty as function because that that really sums it up. Because it, I, I think that elevates the importance of beauty, beauty for beauty's sake, and we need it. Yeah, I agree. I well, and, and the, the trouble with that is that we're now in a time where I think people are denying such thing as like universal beauty. Um, you know, it's it goes back into that like kind of postmodern discussion that Duchamp brought up around like beauty in the eye of the beholder that anything can be deemed as beautiful if you see it as such and you know put a banana on the wall or you know a turd on the floor and then the, don't like, get well, me started I... on the banana don't yeah, don't yeah, get yeah. Me started. <laughs> <laughs> but um. i do think that like i think it comes back to the the that conversation around nature um i don't think i've i was just speaking about this i was running a workshop on sunday um where i, I bring groups of people out into the woods and i get them to tap into their creative their creative nature and like show them tools and ways and to just to recognize and to, and to notice. And there's some, I don't, I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but a part of it is that, like you said, we're kind of obsessed with function. We're obsessed with like hyper rationality and order and precision. And there's like, not to say that we, we don't need that, but there's this other side of it, which is like the wildly intuitive and the um, sort of unknown chaotic aspect of self, which we find when we're in nature that even within like the complexity that we, when we're in the woods, everything is beautiful. Like everything, if you look close enough is like, has this, this beauty to it that you can't find in the man-made world, I don't believe, you know? And we're always trying to chase that. And we've been ch chasing that for a long time. And I think for a good reason is that like, there's a harmony about that that teaches us a great deal and i think it gets into this thing that i talk about like the wild creative cycle of giving is like we inspire people to get out into wild places into the nature so that they can then become inspired in their own capacity and then bring those gifts back into the world and it like continues this cycle of deep mutual respect and deep admiration for this place that we've come from and and I think that's how we get people to reconnect with what's what beauty is, right? Is to like bring them into these places. And there's a, there's a lot more there to unpack, obviously. But I'd love to hear more about how that workshop works and and um, what's the response been so far. Yeah, yeah. So my my good buddy and I we started last year um, toward the end of the summer. We just were really inspired. We'd been learning these different practices from nature guides um uh, and we had done a few retreats and we just were like 
this is medicine. Like people need this and in, in the world. And it and it primarily started from this response of like looking at mental health statistics, honestly, and like how depressed and anxious and disconnected people were feeling. And then yeah. us having had this practice for a few years of spending a lot of time in nature and and introducing these like subtle concepts of how to engage in this way, like dramatically changed our lives it dramatically changed the way i show up as an artist the way i show up as a husband and as a friend and all these things and so it was like okay let's let's start putting something together and trying it out and so um we call it wander wild and um i can give you links later if you want to yeah we'll put them that. in the show notes yeah interesting and um essentially what we do is we just we we bring people into the woods and we talked about this on the last podcast a little bit but we it's primarily to get off the trail and just slow way down you know it's like because because the thing is is we're in this very habituated patterned way of being in the world you know we've got a routine we've got our structure we've got our jobs and we're just kind of like head down like on autopilot most of the time and even when people get out into the woods i've noticed they're like going to point a to point b all right i'm going to get to the top of this hill i'm going to get to the other side of this lake and i'm like on the path and i and i can still get lost in my own head and not really be present with what's going on around me and so when you when i, I find when you get people off the trail they suddenly become hyper aware you know they're like then like they have to be careful where they're standing and and like they suddenly become much more present to the environment that they're in and so we invite people to start with that and to slow down um, and we talk about crossing thresholds where you like a threshold of going from the field into the woods or from the trail off of the trail or into like what we call these like sort of zones within the forest where it becomes like really like dappled light and ferns versus like old growth maple and cedar and just like learning to be present with like everything that's around you. And so a lot of that, it's just it calms the nervous system down. And, and it, and it allows you to start to like open up and like let go of some of the tensions and some of the concerns and the worries and, and expand your ability to just be lost in wonder like we were when we were kids, you know, just to be like, whoa, look at that cool stump. Look at that bug. Look at that bird. Look at yeah. that. Like how beautifully the light's coming down. Yeah. And, and so we give people a bunch of different prompts and like different ways and how they can engage. And we just let them go wander for a couple hours and then come back and we talk about their experience. And we talk about like, you know, we, we, we also give people, uh, we encourage people to come out there with an intention of like, what's the most alive in you right now? What's difficult in your life? What happens when you go out there as this, you know, in your no devices, nothing else and you're just out there just with this open question about what's the most alive and important for you in your life and then you find that it just opens up man time and time again people are reporting just like incredible experiences like really heart opening and tears and just like deep like appreciation for just being reconnected with a very very simple thing which is just to go be in nature and you can do this just about anywhere which is amazing that that's incredible, man. Because what what you've got there is is forced time to face the thing. We we don't have we don't have space to just have a break. You know, this is something that I've come across. Um, you know, recently, just personally, is is 
And I've had this conversation with Rachel so many times that we've talked about the dreaded hamster wheel. If I'm not careful, I end up right back on that hamster wheel. And, and you, when you get to a certain point, you, you almost feel this pull like people are expecting to hear from you. At least you've got that perception. It's like, I have people, they want to hear from me and I've got to post and I've got to do this and I've got to send that and I've got to upload this and I've got to finish that off and I've got a deadline here and got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. And you get, you get stuck on that, on that wheel. And so having that time to get a, a, just a, a, a check and, and get in that space, that is a wonderful thing. What a, what a great you know, service you guys are, are providing and, and a space for people to do that. I, I'd love to go on one of those, but it's just a great reminder to just, when you get outside, reconnect and, and drop it. You know, my trick recently, I'm so blessed, man. I, I'm, I'm a father now and I've, I've got this wonderful little boy. His name's Hugo. And um, I, I, when I have my time with him in the morning and we're playing, I make a point of getting down on the ground. Like I lay on the ground, kind of my stomach's on the ground and I'm kind of looking up and I'm resting on my elbow. So I get down on his level and then we just start playing on the ground with like trucks and cars and all these different things. And, and I start making the noise and he starts making the noise. And then I start kind of paying attention to what, what he's vibing with, what toys he going to grab, what's he want to play with. And then we, we play there and, and it's, it's, that's been really interesting. You said something about, um, kids before. I mean, kids have got this worked out. Like naturally, when we come into the world, we're on. And and it's such a wonderful reminder having him there because I'm like, okay, this is actually where the important stuff is. You know, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting anything done. I'm not crossing things off my to-do, but I will remember this. This is the thing I'm going to remember. This is the thing that's actually adding the value to my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also think we're in danger of our children like losing touch with that part of themselves. You know, I, I think depending on where we're at, but you know, a lot of my friends are parents and um, I'm, I'm soon going to become a parent and uh, fantastic. Great news. And I, uh, and I think about this a lot and we're thinking about wanting to do these wander workshops with kids actually, because nowadays, you know, I mean, kids are just inundated with video games and their devices. And it's just like, I think a lot of people are concerned. I mean, the data shows very clearly now, like the impact that that's been having over the last, you know, two decades for sure. And it's ramping up. And so I think it's like, we need to give, we need to give a space and allow for our kids to keep on having access to this type of world and, and to nature and to all of this, you know, and just be like, get off your phones, get off the, get off the video games and go and play you know, like his play as we're finding too, is like, that's important at every stage of life. Like reconnecting as adults with play is, is profound, you know, I mean, and that's one of the things we encourage, you know, there's like this place for like serious introspection and, and inquiry, but there's also this place of like, maybe you need to go out in the woods and like run around like a wild man and like, it's just like <laughs> totally let it out, you know, and like go and howl at the moon and like, bang sticks on an old log like it's a drum and just like like just get free you know and and so but yeah we can learn a lot from kids because they're naturally like inquisitive and they want to move in that direction and just like kind of be be wild in that way so how do you um 
earlier on, you said something about, you know, kind of shifting into this online space. So, so kind of in the same vein of what we're talking about right now, you know, how do you maintain that authenticity, that play with your work, being engaged with what you're doing, yet you, you recognize the need to make that pivot into your you, a, a new space because like you've got these external pressures right with your art business you know you're seeing a shift in the market like sales are drying up i got to move into that space so twofold question here number one you know how did that transition look for you but but more importantly how was that just weathering that that storm so to speak mentally to make sure you didn't completely lose it when you when you had to make that shift because having again having lost this twice you know it was challenging I, I did spend some time down in the dumps for a little while before I picked myself up it was an immediate thing I'd like to think now I could pivot a lot quicker but um you know keeping keeping your mind open to those options. And I think one of the ways to, to do that, just from my perspective, um, and, I, and I'd, I'd love to, to hear what you think, but is to find that state of play because that's where the creative options come from when you're engaged in that, you know, being the wild man banging on the logs in the woods. That's, that's almost, it's like, oh, that's what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to start a newsletter. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about that. Yeah, I think a couple of different things. So, I mean, it's been, it's, you know, these last like eight, nine months have been challenging um, in business and challenging also just on like, I think it's all, it comes back to how I relate to the business is a big part of it. And the the main, the first pivot that I did was like, I, I was like, okay, I want to lean back into the education side of this. And I had taught in a, at in an atelier for about four years, and I liked that. Um, but I had come out of that experience with this knowing that, like, I had built a relationship with a lot of these students over the years, and I found that they had these like particular struggles that were non-technical related. They were about like the psychology. They were about like lack of vision. About you know, not having like the sense of purpose or drive or um, direction in their life. And so mm. I was thinking about that for a long time. And so then I was like, okay, let's craft up an offer and try and work with students one-on-one. -on -one. And so that was the thing that I, I did to pivot. And that went really well. Like I launched the offer, sold out all my spots continually. And like, I'm still doing it to this day. And I find a lot of value in it. And, you know, what I'm part of that mentorship that I do with them is I actually get them to get out and do these practices that we're talking about now as one way to like get in touch with their creative vision. And, um, and so that was like one thing, but then I've taken a big hard look at my business and what I create and how I create it and the body of work and all of this. And I realized I was like looking back over the course of all of these paintings that I've done and when I, at the beginning of my career, I was creating these like very large kind of more epic narratives and getting really good response. I loved painting them. They were just like the whole process of it was incredible. Mm -hmm. And then I got hooked, I got hooked into this like, like online uh, mentality that I had to start shifting what I was creating to target better sales. 
Oh, wow. And so I started painting smaller. I started making some of my content a little bit more digestible and easier for a broader audience. And like, and sales were doing okay for a while, but then I noticed, you know, it started to stagnate and I wasn't getting as much like, I wasn't getting as much response from people as I was before. And, and I realized, you know, toward the end of last year, I was like, man, I think, I think I abandoned what was the most valuable to me as an artist and people see that. I think people really like, people are called to our art because of its authenticity. I, I, I really believe that. And I think when we're not authentic, I think that I think we're going to see that reflect in our business in a, in a certain way. And that's not to say that there aren't plenty of people conducting business that are inauthentic, you know, I mean, that are successful with it. But I think from our specific place, um, you know, I think people are really looking for this particular quality that we've shown up with. And so anyway, I like repositioned, I backed off, I slowed down on production and I started getting back into like, what do, what are the stories that I want to tell? And I've been, you know, I've been designing some really big paintings in the, in the background that I'm getting ready to start actually next week. And I'm really excited about, and it's not to say that I haven't been creating paintings that I'm not into, but they've just been, I think I've just been playing it a little bit more safe in terms of the creations that I'm making. And so um, that was a, that was something that shifted a lot for me. Um, what remind me of some of the other questions I may have lost. Well, no, no, right. that, that, that pretty much answers it. I, it, sorry, apologies, Christopher. It wasn't a well-formed question, but you're, you're giving me so much food for thought here, but, but essentially that, that pivoting online and, 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 you know, you, you recognize that there's something taking a downturn. Your response is, is, is uh, you answered it perfectly, is to change your approach in some way. I'm wondering if there's a, 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 a middle ground here, if there's something here that you, you know, we could do as artists where we maintain our authenticity, but at the same time, just go to work with the creative aspect of that business. So it's like, okay, I'm not going to change my my creative output here because I believe in what I'm doing. Maybe I just need to get creative on that business side of things and try and go and find my people. You know, I, that's exactly what I think is the right yeah. way. That's what I've been focusing my my mm. attention on. It's like actually the marketing side of it mm. is that I well for one. I mean, it depends. I mean, for me, I found social media like the Instagram, for instance, like. It's primarily a vanity metric that wasn't serving me as much as I thought it would as yeah. for sales. It helps me reach students though. It's really wonderful at getting me in touch with other artists and helping people through that lens. But I've got a I'm going off in other directions in terms of looking for my people in terms of people that want to collect my work that are mm -hmm. inspired by my work and like putting a lot of attention into that now. Um, and so I, I agree with you, man. It's like, I think, Stay true to what and who you are and find the people that resonate with it. Okay, let's get let's get down to brass tacks on that one because um I I I, I do have quite a few people, you know, young and old, but people who want to branch out go into this as a as a full-time gig. They want to be an artist, they want to they want to um you know, go full time. They want to sell their work. They want to live that artist's dream in a way. And part of the, the 
the reason why I started this podcast was to get fantastic artists like yourself on and hear, okay, what, what are these things that you're concerned about? What are some of the struggles that you've had? But what are some of those strategies for how you go about doing that? How do you go about just connecting the painting to the client? Because the painting, it's sometimes for me, the painting is the easy part. That's the fun part. I get to, I, I, I create the work. That's all right. But, and I don't know, tell me if you ever, maybe some people watching this have, um, have, have seen this episode of South Park, but did you ever see the underpants gnome episode? No, uh, I, it was not, I didn't get it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll cut to it, but basically the whole idea through the, and I might've mentioned this on the podcast already, but the, forgive me folks. Um, the idea behind that episode where the, the underpants gnomes were geniuses when it came to big business and they had a three phase business map and, and how they, you know, collected underpants and then made profit. And it was, so those three phases, phase one, collect underpants. Phase two was just a mystery. Nobody actually knew what phase two was, but phase three, profit. And so as, as they were surveying the, the, these gnomes going, hey, how does business work? Phase one, collect underpants. Phase two, no one knows what phase two is. Phase three, profit. And it, it just, I looked at that and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Because it's, there, there's some really interesting philosophy in South Park. I mean, who would have not? But um, I, I looked at that and I was like, that's exactly how I looked at my painting business early on is, is phase one, paint the picture. Phase two, eh. phase three, profit, you know, it, it, without making that connection. So, you know, I've got a particular strategy. I've, I've got a few ways that, that would work just kind of grassroots level to go and find your people immediately without tech, without social media, without building a list or anything, just connect it old school. Um, I think we need both the old school and the new school. But let, let me just ask you, like, if you're, if you're going to, to coach a young person today, what would be the Christopher Remmers um, strategy for being able to connect a painting with a buyer? Yeah, I, and I'm still, I'm still learning this. I'm not a master by any means, and I'm still playing with different strategies. But the thing that I've landed on is, well, I think it comes down to building relationships. Um, I think Part of what we're doing here is, uh, and what what collectors are connecting with is the story. They're connecting with the artist and how that artist is expressing this particular idea. And so, I think we need to look at what that story is for us, and then find out who the people are that connect with all the elements of that story. It's not like, oh, who are people that are collecting art? It's like, what are the People that are likely to collect this type of art, what other things are they interested in their life? And this is kind of brass tax marketing mm. in some sense and like figuring out where those people go, like where they spend their time, what they do, you know, and so it's, and then you go and you, and you can grassroots that to some extent, you go to these places and you, and you go to events and you meet people one-on-one -on -one and you share with them the story. And, um, and then from that, you you build one-on-one -on -one relationships and that's where i'm putting a lot of my energy is like you know you get you you meet people and you maybe get in touch with them via email and then they're on a list that you can then continue a one-on-one -on -one dialogue with and i think that's really important because especially in today's age people are just spammed to all hell and like you know they're sick of getting emails and these kind of impersonal sort of 
well, spam, as I was saying. And so like, I think when people get a one-on-one, -on -one, like hmm. authentic, like conversation with an artist, that's really important. And it helps them, you know, and you build this over time. And I, I work with coaches and, and business mentors in this as well. And, um, you know, and there's a statistic in, in particular with like the type of work that I sell that I know it's generally a trajectory of about four to six months of cultivating a relationship to sell a piece of artwork at the scale of what some of my works are, you know, like a very large painting that's, wow. you know, that's, it's upward of like 15 to $20,000, you know, like it's a rare thing that someone is just going to impulse buy that site on scene. You know, yeah. it happens, oh, yeah. but it's not like the, it's not the normal people want to like sure. be able to like revisit this and, and like, and stew in it a little bit and, and, and develop a relationship with it. And so that's a complicated way of saying that. I think that primarily it starts with one-on-one -on -one relationship building. And I think to think about marketing, which I know is like a trigger word for a lot of people that sounds really gross and, but it's just storytelling on it. That's what, that's how I try and look at it is that like marketing and branding is just like, I'm taking what I love about my work, why I create it. And I'm creating this like package to share with people. That's like really easily accessible. Like this is what goes into the work. This is why I created, this is potentially how it could be meaningful to you in your life. And, 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 and that's, that's the, the main thing that I'm doing. Um, and you can integrate that in with like ads and like how you actually do targeted marketing online as a way. It's like, it doesn't have to be this like meaningless, shallow thing that you put out in the world. It can be an article, for instance, that's on a really juicy topic that grabs someone's attention. And then that starts and initiates a conversation. Wow. Yeah. So many directions that I could go in there and, and yeah, you very interesting. What if you're weird? You know, so I, I can, I can, um, I can imagine there's some people, cause I'm a little weird. Um, and, and so the, the interpersonal relationships, they don't, they don't come naturally for me. They didn't in the beginning. Uh, definitely not. Um, there were a few things that helped me come out of my shell. The, the thing that helped me most was just exposure of just go, I'm freaking out. Yeah. Guess what? We're doing it anyway. Here we go. Wah! you know and so like doing the 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 public speaking thing the demonstrations to think heck doing the podcast putting this out here on the internet um you know unscripted unedited kind of raw conversations um it, it is a little bit nerve-wracking so so to get over yourself actually takes quite a leap to quite a bit of effort for some people for me it did but what if if let's say because I, I, I personally, I feel it's a need. I think you need to face that. You need to overcome that and you need to interface with people and you got to figure out a way. But what's, what are some of the strategies that you would have to help somebody who's like, I, I, I just want to paint the picture. Can somebody else do this? Yeah, I, yeah, totally. You know, and just to, to start with, I was very uncomfortable at the beginning of this. I mean, I've, it's, it's, it's actually this weird kind of crux I've had throughout my life. It's like something that I simultaneously value. I value the ability to be very articulate and 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 forthright with my speech and to be able to be confident in the public domain of speaking. It's always been something I'm like, that's incredibly important to success and to my own well-being, but it's always been the most difficult thing for me to 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 grapple with and to learn. 
And I, you know, even when I was younger, I took like classes to learn how to overcome that fear and that anxiety. Um, and so I would encourage people if, if it's depending on how difficult it is, is like, there's places you can go to, to practice talking about things. Right. Um, I, I did this thing. It was called relational presence where you just practice getting up in front of a group of people unscripted and just speak about whatever comes up. And it's like, it, you know, it, wow. and the, and the, yeah. And so it's in a very like comfortable place where everyone's sort of, they're taught how to listen and they're taught how to hold space, you know, which is different than something like Toastmasters, right? Which Toastmasters, like you just get up there and you go and like, you know, <laughs> maybe you'll, you're going to vomit or maybe you won't. But that really shifted a big thing for me where it was like, I think a part of what we're trying to achieve is relatability. Like we, we want to like, and I think that over time, like you get better at it, but the, the thing that we want to look for those, those threads that we can relate to the people that we're trying to reach. Um, and I think you start with that, a really easy way to start with that is learning to write well, learning how to articulate your thoughts through writing and getting really comfortable with that because what it does, it's like, it, the, I think the biggest challenge for people is with you're feeling anxious to organize your thoughts inside of your head and then to take that and then go and present or go and talk to someone cold. It's like, it's like, you know, you're trying to like organize all that chaos that's going on. And then on top of it, you've got like your, you know, adrenaline pumping and like it's spiking and that's confusing things even further. And so if you write a lot about these ideas and you get really clear with yourself to where you can ask yourself in private, like, what are my opinions on this? What are my thoughts on this? What does this painting mean to me? And you can like answer it like instantly, then that puts you into this place where you're going to be a lot more confident expressing those ideas to people in public. And, uh, it, it, and I think you were right. It's, there is a process of exposure. Like you just have to like take small steps and expose yourself to like more and more uncomfortable things until it like, and it, it shifts. I promise. And anyone that's listening there, it does change it like hundred percent. I mean, I used to be like, shivering in my boots man <laughs> you know and like you know and, and i and it just gets it gets easier over time yeah. but i think there's a lot of value in terms of like learning how to be articulate beyond just presenting but it just it makes you you know yourself more you know and so i think writing about things that you care deeply about and why you create art and what the art is about i think is valuable on multiple levels absolutely the the other thing I, I'd like to throw into the mix here that that's helped me in getting over that is becoming sold on my own product, becoming uh, interested in, in what I was doing from a, from the point of view is I felt like I was doing my clients or the people that I was serving a favor by letting them know that I had it. It's like it, it didn't make any sense to hoard this stuff and keep it to myself. It's like, no, I've produced this thing. It's awesome. I had such a good time doing this. And, and people might go, oh, get over yourself, Andrew. No, but, but I really think that you have to be sold first, believing in what you're doing. If you're not believing in what you're doing, if you're not completely into it, you're probably on the wrong path. Because that, that's the first place is that you're, you're authentically exploring something that's within. You're bringing that out into the light. And then you're, you're, should feel like, I, I got to share this with, I got to tell somebody about this. And 
you know, that yes, of course, there's a period of learning, of getting the skills up there. There's so many different ways to go about that. I mean, we're both teachers, so there, there's, there's avenues there. But it's amazed me. I, I, there was somebody recently who said, um, I, I just, I don't want to, one of my students, I, I don't want to sell my work. What do you do if you want to just keep everything that you've done? And I'm like, well, th that's not, that's not bad. I mean, I've had times where I've painted a picture. I'm like, that one's, that one's for me. That's a keeper. But um, getting out there, feeling like you want to share it, I, I, that's personally helped me. It's like, no, I've got a message. I need to get this out to the world. That, that helped me initially because then it was this thing kicked into gear. It was like, I need to find a way. I've, and, and the solutions are abundant. There's so many different people out there and avenues where there are strategies for how to do that. You know, whether it's a speaking or writing or drawing or painting, doesn't matter. There's somebody else who's been able to do that and has dominated doing that. Success leaves clues. You want to get what they got, do what they did. Yeah, yeah. 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 I love that. You know, and I think a big part of that, what you said in the beginning is, you know, when authentically pursuing something that you deeply love. Mm. And this, this is like a thing I focus on a lot with my, my mentees is I think if that's the, where you have to start is finding what that thing is. And I think a lot of people they are like, Oh, I want to, I want to be an artist. And they, they haven't figured that out. They just want to make cool looking. And that'll quickly fizzle out. Like if you don't have this passion, and this like love for what you do, then you're not going to be able to sell it. You're not going to be able to convince someone else that like they love it too, you know? And so I think the first step is to, you know, sometimes having like some, having a hard, not hard, but just like a, a moment of like asking what that thing is and spending some real time on like, what is the message that I want to share with the world? What are the things that are deeply meaningful to me? that I think I could pursue as an artist and spend a career pursuing how to answer these questions and how to like live this vision, which I think for me, that's what it is. Is It's like, there's the creation of art and there's this agenda of like, I wanna create the most beautiful paintings I can. But within that, there's also this exploration that I'm deeply obsessed and curious about of like trying to explore some ideas and like i want to invite people into that process because a part of it is like how do we create transformational moments with visual art for people and like what are all the different ways i can explore doing that and so then that's like a really easy entry point when i'm talking to someone and trying to get them excited about what i do is like what is it that fires you up what creates an awe moment for you like let's like you know, and then I learned from that experience a lot more. So mm. I think it has to start from that place of meaning, ultimately. Yeah. Can I be honest yeah. with you for a second? Sure. I recently lost the awe, Christopher. I recently lost it and I've just picked it up again. And this is part of, um, and, and I, I really credit the podcast for this because I'm getting more out of this than anybody, you know, I, I love this stuff. I love this stuff because I, I've, I've made new friends around the world. It's been wonderful connecting with folks like you. And, and, um, but I had somebody recently that, that has become since become a really good friend that I've interviewed on the podcast. And, um, I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. I, I won't mention his name, but, um, this was a private conversation and he was just like, he's like, uh, you've lost your category. Like, what are you talking about? He said, he said, you're off doing all these other things. 
and you've, it's, you've lost sight of your first love. And the thing that we all know and love and appreciate you for, you, you've, where, where is that? Go back to that and not go back to the stuff that we want to see. But he said, he said, I guarantee you'll be on the minute you pick up that thread again. And I looked at it and I was like, gosh, you know what? He's right. So there's something to be said for authentically just doing that thing that is what speaks to you. Because there's so many, there's so many people out there. I mean, that what they want to do is is key into that that algorithm, the thing that's going to get the likes, the thing that's going to get the shares and the comments and and kind of what we've been talking about across these topics already in, in this conversation that does have the potential to rob somebody of their of their voice of their authentic voice and so yeah picking up that thread i think is so important and then um and then yeah sharing that with the world you you mentioned something and i'd like to say just for the record i, I picked up the thread again i'm back i'm <laughs> back <laughs> uh but but it's it's almost uh, in a way i don't i i also just i'll say this because i I don't look at it in a, in a bad way. Sometimes losing yourself and losing that thread can be an important exercise, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It allows well, us to hmm. see the value in what we had. For sure. For sure. You, you mentioned something before. Um, and, and let me, uh, I, and I, I'm wondering if we can unpack this, if there was more to it. Um, do you ever go through periods where you're personally stuck or in a rut artistically or you feel stifled creatively if you're just in a between a rock and a hard place so to speak and if you've been there how did you get back out what are some strategies that you would have for anybody listening um, to get unstuck uh, and I'll just say that you know I, I I put out a video a while ago on my online academy that was just titled how to get unstuck I've, I've got some some ways of doing that and some strategies that have worked for me that are just tried and true and they work every friggin' time. But how do you, how do you get out of a, out of a jam like that? And you ever been in a fix where you're just like, oh, I'm just lost. I'm not on fire right now. Yeah. I think like for me, a lot of what it has to do is when life gets a little bit too complicated and I feel like I don't have the breathing room to feel excited about the work that I'm creating. Um, it's been a long time, if I'm being honest, where I've like gotten what some would refer to as like artist block. Like I don't mm. like I feel like the faucet of creative ideas coming out of me is like it's actually a little bit overwhelming that I have to like I have to actually come up with strategies to to like simplify that down and like really stick to a direction. Um, but a lot of it comes, you know, the things that I've been challenged by is like overwhelm of like, oh, my God, I've got all these other things to do. But I have this thing that I'm really excited to explore. And I just don't I don't feel like I can get into it because I'm just stressed. I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm just like burdened down by all the other to do's that, that are going on. And, um, you know, normally what I do during that time is I just take a hard look at like what's going on in my life and how to simplify it as much as possible. And that's become like an ongoing practice of sort of this minimalist approach to like my space, to my routine, to my life, and like just shedding all of the things that aren't essential, um, I think allows me to have this space to really focus on what matters the most. Um, you know, I, I, 
other than that, I mean, I think that's the thing that I've been challenged with the most in my life is just overcomplicating things. And, and I have a terrible habit of biting off more than I can chew with projects and like getting mm -hmm. excited about ideas that are sort of tertiary to, or tangential to my business. And then next thing I know, I've like got all these commitments and I'm, <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I just, I I'm losing, I'm losing like the impact of what's the most important. And so, right. um, so yeah, you know, it's not as, I, I think it was probably about four, four or five years ago, I was feeling that I, there was a time when I felt really stagnant and I, I lost the thread of like some of these ideas that I was pursuing as an artist and what actually connected me back into that was what we were talking about earlier with these practices of getting back out into and I started going out into the woods and I started like just giving myself some space to ask the questions of what I wanted and where I wanted to go and then out of that like that painting Zane was birthed and then that was like okay we're off on it now amazing painting by the way and we'll put it up on the screen this painting um, called Zane um, and I'll just describe it for people that are listening to the audio version um, we've got two figures that are crouched on, on the ground. And, and I love how you have your figures holding like lights. One of them, um, the, the female appears to be, it's like the smoking blue light. And um, the, the guy with his back to us is holding a, a similar type orb light. It's amazing. By the way, I, I'm just from a painting side of things, the perspective is incredible. You've got these intricate geometric patterns in the foreground and then textiles fabric patterns you had fun painting this i can tell like the, the, you, yeah you were... <laughs> I, it was a challenge though the perspective was a bit of a that was a i wrestled with it a little bit to be honest but yeah it's, it's awesome man it's awesome and then of course you know so you th these these lights are are kind of forming smoke and the smoke is gathering to form these figures that are almost intertwining they look like they're about to come together above i i i, I can see you've got like an artist statement here next to that painting but there's something here like i i sometimes i i when i look at a painting i i enjoy bringing a meaning to it like and seeing what it's saying to me and and there's something coming out at me i i Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't say what this means to me, but I, I'd love to hear. Let, let's let's go there. Let's unpack this painting in particular. But I, I'm sorry I, I cut you off there. We'll go ahead and um, pick up that thread again, Christopher. But insane painting. I want people to go to your website, ChristopherRimmers.com and check it out. But again, for the video version of the podcast, we'll, we'll put it on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that painting was, you know, there was a lot of threads in that. Um it was the beginning of me thinking about my artwork as like as potential vehicles for transformation for people. It was mm -hmm. like, it was, it like flipped the whole objective of why I like to paint and what I'm trying to do is, is to create experiences for people. Um, and, and so I thought about this idea of like depicting people having this like transformational out of body sort of psychedelic experience but then I, I tied that into some of these things that are these, you know, they're, they're, you know, there's, there's threads of like kind of the Adam and Eve tale in there. And then that threads into Zane, which was like the, the Hebrew name for the tarot card uh, of, about the lovers. And that was like the primary thing. And it was then like 
playing around with this idea of the dynamic between the masculine and the feminine and and how we see God and like and there's a lot more I won't get get too nuanced with it but those are the primary ingredients I was playing with and wanting to put out these like archetypal symbols in a way to get people to reflect on but not give them like so much information as like this is what I'm trying to tell you it's mostly like reflect on the masculine and the feminine reflect on like ceremony and ritual and us like being deeply invested in like and in 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 relationship to these things and to give people a space that they could like meditate upon that mm. but also like move them in a way to have it be big enough and create enough compositional strength that like impacted people when they were standing in front of it um and because the artwork's huge the artwork is massive 84 by 80 inches yeah yeah and um yeah and there's a lot of other stuff going on in that but that was the primary seed and i just i remember i was about like halfway through painting that and i came in from like a wander out in the woods one night and sat in front of that painting and it i hadn't like it's like i had started the painting i knew that there was something going on and then i just sat with it that night and i this is kind of cheesy and corny but it's but I, I had tears come into my eyes and it was like, it was this sudden thing. It was like, I've landed at my purpose. That's like what it felt like. I was like, this is, awesome. this is what I'm, this is like what I'm meant to do. And so I've really held on to that as like a, my lighthouse. And, uh, and like we said earlier, I kind of lost some of that thread a little bit, kind of getting a little bit consumed by business, but that's been coming back. And um, like I said, next week I'm starting it's, I would say it's like the continuation from that big picture narrative. This painting I'm going to start, I think going to be around 10 by eight, 10 by seven feet. Um, wow. And kind of into that next continuation of multi-figure kind of ceremonial narrative. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I'm so, I, I, I'd love to see that work unfold. And of course you're going to be uh, posting some progress pics and things on your, on your social media. Yeah. Yeah. People are probably wondering what the heck, man, I haven't posted in like two, three weeks. <laughs> I've just yeah. been like hunkered down, like in, in, in different modes, but yeah, yeah. I'm going to start doing a lot. Whatever, man. I mean, like the, the whole posting thing, I, 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 I'm so inconsistent with my social media. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's not advisable from a business standpoint, but I I'm kind of um, I'm kind of a bit ticked off with Instagram at the moment. <laughs> I can't stand these algorithms. I mean, I I, I did something. I, I I ran a bit of a just sorry changing gears here, but I I ran a bit of an experiment recently um, on Instagram, and I I heard this thing where. Um, somebody was was saying well you you've got to play the game if you want to you want to make this work on instagram you've got to play the game and so here's what it's going to require in terms of posts you're going to need six posts to your feed every single day you're going to need to upload multiple stories every single day and two or three reels every single day and then just do that consistently and i looked at that and i said first thing i thought was like no i got angry i was like hey, nobody got time for that then I thought about it. I thought, well, what could I do? Feasibly, what what could I do? Would be a stretch, be a little bit of a stretch, but but what what would work? And I thought, well, I could really do four posts throughout the day and, and target some of those posts for the right time where my key audience is in the United States. Most of the people that follow me are in the US. 
And um, I, so, so I, I started doing that and posted four times a week, uh, four times a day for over the course of, of, of a week. And I missed the last post um, because I, I went in and I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm curious. I want to check the analytics on this thing and see what's actually happened. And uh, as I did that, as I dug in, I, uh, I realized, okay, I gained 400 followers, but I lost 200. So just over the course of a week, all of that work, hours of work to put all that together. And, and I gained 200 followers. And, you know, for some people listening, it might be, well, well that, that's nice. You got 200 followers. But how many followers, like I've got 124,000 followers on Instagram. They're, they're far more with less, far more with way more than me. Like I, I'm not, it's just numbers. It doesn't even matter. But you would think with that amount of people that the reach would have been much bigger. And then as soon as I looked at that, that just took all the wind out of my sails. And I thought, okay, well, and then I had to check back in and go, why are you doing that? And why are you posting so much? What is the goal here? You know, and I, I, I need to get back in touch with that before going back to the social media. I love following people. Like I, I'm, I'm there, you know, scrolling here and there and checking out what my friends around the world are doing and some of the awesome psychedelic paintings that they're, they're posting, you know, it, it, which is, which is, you know, three weeks ago, which is inspiring, but, um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I need to find a, a, a new strategy there with that I, again love hate relationship with social media it gives us access but they've done something weird with the algorithm it's not like it used to be no it's definitely changed a lot and you know i've been i've been trying to do some figuring on that and i've like i don't you know who dina brodsky is yeah yeah so she teaches a bunch of like about the instagram algorithm and stuff and i think she had friends um, that have been working for Instagram. And so she had some like insight into that and was helping people figure it out. And, you know, recently, I think what they shifted was that like, you used to be penalized if you didn't post consistently, that doesn't exist anymore. And now they've taken away, like they've made the chrono uh, chronological aspect of it shift to where like a vir like a post that you posted like months ago can go viral now. It's just all about like, posts that relate to what people are consuming. And, and so it's a little bit more random now in terms of like how you access new audience members. And, um, but all that being said, I, I, you know, it wasn't out of just feeling overwhelmed that I stopped posting. It was that like, I I'm putting my efforts elsewhere and I, and I, and I wanted to see what it felt like just to not put, have that pressure on myself to post and honestly, like my life is a lot better for it for now, you know, and I think I'll, I'll revisit that, but I, I think I'm going to be a little bit more strategic about it. And I think my content's also going to start shifting from like into more educational and it's going to be more informative about like tips and things for artists to learn and like sharing people about the process of like getting out into the woods and just like try to like cultivate a deeper relationship with the content that I'm posting rather than like, Hey, look at this cool shit. Boom. And just like looking for that, that kind of default yeah. Yeah. engagement. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's designed in a way, isn't it? To, to, to get us into that, um, that dopamine hit 
very cheap kind of dopamine hit. So I, it's it's great to hear that you're you're taking that that step back and and enjoying it. I I, I might might be taking a leaf from your book and and focusing on other areas for a little while. Post when I'm ready. Post when I have something. Because yeah, otherwise you're just making up stuff to just post for a post's sake, you know. And it's like yeah, why why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to be honest too, I'm you know I'm working on this strategy right now where I'm writing articles about things and then I'm creating ads for those that then I'm using Facebook primarily and other places that I'm running things that I'm just, I'm just trying to reach an audience that's specific to you know that's more focused on like people that want to buy artwork and see my artwork um, and and see where that goes. So I'm doing a lot of testing in that in that realm right now. Awesome. Awesome. So recently I, I got a little bit of a surprise. I was doing a live stream with my students on Saturday, Saturday for me here in New Zealand, and your name came up and I was like, oh, Christopher Rivers is here on the live stream. So is is um, is Patreon, is that sort of route, um, just talking about it from a business standpoint, is that something that you're interested in exploring and um kind of working on a, on the subscription model where people will kind of subscribe to you and, and can gather techniques and insights that way. Yeah. I haven't landed on, on that answer yet. Um, right now I'm, I'm doing a little bit of research. Um, and I, I just wanted to see what things look like under the hood for your system. And I'm impressed. I, you know, I encourage people to go, go check out what you got going on. There's a lot of value there. And, and I'm just, I'm checking out how other artists are offering this sort of thing, whether it's through membership, but I'm also, I've also been purchasing like pre-recorded courses and how to do videos and seeing how other people do it. And, mm -hmm. um, and because I'm, you know, like I said, probably by mid to late summer, I'm going to be launching something. And my sense is it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty robust offering. Um, I, I don't want initially I was going to go down this route of like offering like a, like a, a video catalog of like academic exercises to teach people how to paint from nothing to something. But now I'm targeting it on like, like recording from start to finish, like one of my big epic paintings and taking people through the whole creative process, like how I go about doing it, how I develop my studies, how I came across the idea, how I build the painting through every process and then giving them tools and strategies to create imaginative narrative paintings. Um, nice. And then having like a, a, having a live support, like a weekly live support for people that are part of that community. Um, just because I think from a lot of different areas, I'm, I, I like my time is pretty limited and I just want to paint epic. Shit. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so I'm like, how can I take that and, and like help people get to that place in their own work that, you know, probably people that already know how to paint and like are wanting to figure out how to do narrative work and how to explore ideas in this, these new ways and how to create certain effects and, and, and things like that. So that's, that's where I think I'm going to go with it. But um, yeah, I, I've been recording a ton and I'm just recording a lot of stuff so I can like have content to play around with. Awesome. Awesome, man. There's there's some exciting stuff in the pipeline. Then that's that's excellent to hear. Awesome. Um, before before we wrap up the podcast, 
let let's let's go into just another um another area just briefly it is so cool seeing you here on video again if people are listening if you're listening to the audio version of this there is a video version that you'll find on my youtube channel so i'm looking at christopher here in his studio amazing wall easel by the way that's great that's awesome. Inspired by you. Inspired by you. <laughs> well, I, I saw a post on your Instagram, which I thought was really, really neat. But um, I, I want people to check out the video version of this podcast so they can see this studio because this is an organized space. I really like this. Um, you seem to have dismantled a, a traditional easel and you've got that hanging on the wall easel. To, to for some more fine-tuned adjustments it looks like so is that what happened there you cut the legs off that thing no so it's that's actually uh that's a a, a best brand it's just a it's a wall easel i don't know if you've seen those wall easels you bolt them to the wall wow. and then they can, it's essentially like so then i can like that thing can move up and down um it's for people that have like a little bit more of a limited backup space and i got this years ago and all I did is I just installed the French cleats on the back of that thing. So I can, when I'm working on small pieces mm. and I need a little bit more fine-tuned increments of up and down, like I, that allows me to, to set that up better. So brilliant, brilliant. It's, it's a beautiful spice. I can see your paint tubes hanging up there. It's all, it's all, it's all everything in its right place. Now you put something out on your Instagram recently about, and I, I'm curious about this because I've been experimenting. I've been revisiting this idea behind mediums. And I saw you put something on your Instagram about mediums. Um, and it was a little video where you were making some sort of concoction. What was in that jar? What, what is your particular approach to that? I get a ton of questions on mediums, but what was that mixture you were, you were making up and what's your approach now? What are you using now? Yeah, I mean, for a while now, and I just recently have been experimenting, but for for a while, and it's still going to be my my base go to, which is oleo res gel and linseed oil. Um, okay. And I've played around with it being like sun thickened linseed oil to regular, and um, I just I'm really particular about this kind of like sculptural quality with my paint that I found oleo res gel with a little bit of linseed allows it to kind of give it some like impasto but not like overly so to where i can still get really good flow with the painting and what i've done a lot of times is i'll have i'll have like my base mix that i mix up a ton of it and at the beginning of my painting i thin it out a little bit and then as i build up opacity there's less and less linseed oil in that mix so mm -hmm. i can get thicker thicker lines in it and it helps dry fast the oleo res versus the just regular oleo gel dries a little bit faster is that so who makes that who and and is it only a resin is that is it short res short for resin yeah yeah and it has like a little bit of a tiny t little bit of uh solvent in it too so it dries a little quick it's it's pretty minimal but that's right. natural pigments um right that that a rublev um mm -hmm. is like the, the the brand name but um but recently i've been experimenting with Italian varnish and Venetian medium, mm -hmm. which has a little bit of turpentine and leaded glass in it. And which is, wow. I know people are going to freak out. I mean, I use, I also use lead paint. And and so I, I do not have a toxic free studio in here, but um, I, I've been reading about uh, like these different glazing techniques. And I do a lot of 
glazing to kind of enhance the like glowing light quality in my paintings and um and that leaded glass and like those layers using venetian medium whatever it creates this this like this greater light transparency you know because what you're seeing is like the lights coming and bouncing back and through all those layers mm -hmm. and so that leaded glass creates like a, a further depth of of luminosity and so i've been playing with that a little bit and it also creates a um wow. It creates a little bit of tackiness, which I actually like. If if the medium's too fluid, when I'm like kind of rendering and trying to sculpt the form, it, it's I like it to have a little bit of stickiness to it because I can, it the paint doesn't like get it doesn't move around too much. I, I, you know that you get down to this nuance mm -hmm. where like these little particular ways, and when you're blending or you're trying to feather in a transition, if it's if it's too sloppy, it makes it a little a little difficult so it, it does it for me it's it's a tension it's the hardest thing to describe because you you're picking up feedback as you're manipulating the brush it's the pull of the paint on the ends of those bristles and if you're delicately manipulating that brush on the palette and then on the canvas there's so many different things that go into into effect there it's the it's the tackiness of the surface it's it's how long have you been mixing that paint for on the palette you know, I, I have kind of stuck with liquid and liquid impasto, but, you know, as I said, recently I've been branching out into some other things, but I'm curious to try this. Um, so Italian varnish and and then what was the other one? The other one is uh, the Venetian. And Venetian. Yeah, I just got a I just got a brand new tube of it actually this morning. It's uh yeah, so the Venetian. Venetian medium. So that's the one with the leaded glass in there. Yeah, that one has leaded crystal glass. Um, I haven't, I just started reading about the Italian varnish um, and that's, uh, it's black oil and wax. And so I, wow. I don't, I don't know much about that. I'm going to be careful and do that just with studies initially before I start putting that into one of my big paintings. But. <laughs> that's so interesting, man. So let me, let me ask you then, um, Sorry, I'm just going to geek out here, but that that uh, Venetian medium. So, how long would that take to dry, and and would that retain the brush marks? Because it's in a tube, I, you know. It's like it, it looks like it's got some thickness to it. Yeah, I, I it dries faster than than the oleo res gel for sure. Um, you do need to make sure you're ventilated. That's a new one for me. Like I've been, I haven't had like a lot of solvents around my studio for a long time, but the, that has, uh, um, it has a little bit of turpentine in it. And so it definitely like, if you have a lot of it out, it'll singe your, your nose hairs. Okay. <laughs> so just be aware of that. But it, um, you know, when I'm like turning the form and like doing these really detailed passages, it like, it, it holds the brush marks really well and it dries quickly. And like I said, like I'll, I've, over the last year, I've gotten really into uh, painting into a couch. You know what that means? Where you Not like, really. no, sorry. So like what, like painting into a couch is it's kind of like oiling out before you start to paint. Yeah. But like, so you take an area that you're getting ready to paint and you, you oil it out, but you oil it out with a little bit of tone, like whatever the, like the local mid tone is of that area. And then you paint into it into the couch but i put it on and i let it set for like 30 minutes and so it gets that like little bit of tackiness that i like and then so i can then go and paint into it and it allows me to render 
really, really controlled. And when I render, it actually maintains the brush strokes and the marks really, really nicely. Mm. Um, and I'm finding, I might, I might transition away from Oleo Res Gel, to be honest. You know, it's, um, I, I really like it so far. I mean, the only, the only downfall to it is just the, the little bit of the VOCs that I'm introducing into the studio, but you know, I got tall ceilings and a big fan and lots of windows open. So you're, you're in a huge space too. Is this like a, a factory unit? Where are you, Christopher? You don't have to give us the address, but what kind of space is this, is this where you're, you're situated? Yeah. So I'm, I'm right downtown Bellingham and it's this big building that's historically been an arts building. Um, there's like a ton of studios, there's three stories and, uh, the, I'm on the ground level. Like when you walk in the front doors, there's about six studios all next to each other, and the and they're the bigger studios in the space. And uh, um, it's pretty sweet, man. It's you know it's um it's about eighteen hundred square feet, really big, tall vaulted ceilings. So I have off to that my side here. I've set it up as a gallery. Can you show us? I can you turn the computer? Can we? Can we? Yeah. Can we get a little bit of a sneak peek here in your studio. Yeah. The only thing I'll say though is right now most of my paintings are gone, um, but you can see behind me. Um, there's, wow. there's, uh, and then I've got this like little gallery wall with like a little couch area yeah. behind me, and I share this with another artist. So if we come around here, like you can, it goes way back. Wow! What an amazing space. It show tilt up so we can see up into that ceiling. Oh wow, that is incredible space. I've got a little loft up there with like a little nook and a kitchen. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty nice space. And then so right behind here, that's the door coming in. And um, yeah, amazing. Wow, fantastic space. And wow, what a lighting rig as well. So you've you've got this rig that's uh, built out from your wall easel and all of your lights arranged. That's a lot of light. So d does each of those on the track do something else? Or are you, uh, you're playing with some different bulbs and some different tones there? Yeah, it's just on it. It's like warm, cool, warm, cool. So I get kind of a, I've played around over the years with trying to find like the exact temperature, just one yeah. bulb. And I find that like mixing kind of a somewhere around the, like the 3,500 to the like 4,000 range is my preferred. And I've got it on a dimmer and it's pretty high up. So it's like, it's not, it's not too crazy spotlit. Yeah. I, I've recently yeah, fell into that trap again, too much light and abundance of, of, of light is not good for painting because you end up mixing that color darker and darker to compensate. Right. Um, but I have shifted now into this space and I've got, um, an led array above and, and I, I so far I, I, the leds are okay. Um, but I, I've, I felt that I've needed to supplement those LEDs ideally with a bit of natural light because um, otherwise your eyeballs go a bit crazy with just LED. There might be something to the flicker rate or the, because they, they, they pulse and uh, it's probably not the best thing for you. No, no. And that's the cool thing about this studio. If you look kind of up here, I've got this mm. giant like sail piece of canvas. Yeah. So this, this whole entire wall over here it's all windows um wow. all north, north facing but the lower north facing isn't great like i so i have curtains that cover the low end and then i put a piece of giant canvas that like 
that breaks up the harshness of the light, but it gives me this glow. Like most of the light you're seeing, that's all just natural light in here. And so Wonderful. I find that with my array is like a perfect combo, just like nice diffused light. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for giving us the, the tour. That's cool seeing your studio, man. Yeah. Oh, I love it here. We it's it's been a good time. And you know, we there's an art walk that happens downtown and we're kind of the central place for art walk. And so we put on events and you know, it's 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 great. Awesome. Well, Christopher, this has been an absolute blast having you back on the Creative Endeavor. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. And um, if you could just let people know the best place to find you online, where would you like people to go to connect with you and your work? Yeah, you know, just primarily my website, ChristopherRemmers.com um, or Instagram. You go to Instagram, which is just Christopher Remmers, and uh, you can find links to like my mentorship offering and to a few other things there. Um, but yeah, honestly, the best ways to go to my website and get on my, get on my list, you know, because I, I, that's where I like to engage with people the most, to be honest. And, um, so yeah, that's the best place. And then lastly, um, I'll, I'll send it over to you, but wander-wild.life is, uh, is where we have the whole info about the, the wander workshops in nature. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I really, it's been it's been great, Andrew. I love talking with you, man. And I felt like we touched on some really good topics this round. That was yeah, I love talking about it. So thank you. It was fun. It was fun. Oh, well, yeah. thanks so much for being on the Creative Endeavor. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast and a huge thank you to Christopher Remmers for joining me. Make sure you're following his work right now on Instagram and on his website at www.christopherremmers.com. I'll put all of the links in the description down below, as well as a link to the workshop that he mentioned. That was really fascinating to hear. You know, I think he's on to something. Now, Today, more than ever, we're losing our connection, aren't we? Not only our connection with each other and our work, but our connection to the original source, to nature. Now, I've got my own particular Christian spin on things, the way I try to have that communion with God, but you might look at it a different way. But uh, so many artists are on that wavelength where we need to unplug and reconnect with source, for me, that's where the inspiration lies. And it was interesting to hear that that's how Christopher found his feet again creatively, but he's helping other people do the same. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, I hope you got a kick out of this episode and you've come away with something to think about. As always, I'd love to hear from you. Leave me a rating or a review on whatever podcast audio platform you're listening on and give me a five-star review. Why don't you? If you enjoyed this, hey, if you're listening all the way to the end, I'm sure you did. Do me a solid. Leave me a great rating. It'll help this podcast reach more people. I really, really appreciate that. Now, of course, you can find out about everything that's going on with me and what I'm up to. Just simply go to andrewtischler.com and you'll find all of my links there. Links to my online academy, to tutorials if you want to take your oil painting even further. Of course, you'll find me on YouTube. And I'm on social media as well, on Instagram and Facebook. Well, I'm going to get out of here and get back to painting. It's been a blast having your company here in the studio once again. And I'll see you in another episode 
as a creative endeavor.